0: Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, the 15th verse, along with verses 23 and 24. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, you will find that on page 955. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, uh, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We want to remind all of our congregation this week to be very fervent in your prayers for the mission work that's taking place in El Salvador this week, as we have a team that is there. And uh, Phil has challenged all of us to pray at 8.15 every day, whether it's morning or at evening or at both times. And I hope you'll join him in that invitation for all of us as a church family to be praying together for this great mission work because we have so many from our group that are on that uh, team and doing that work there. We want to tell you about two invitations that you'll be hearing more about over the next few weeks, but they're exciting invitations. One is that we as a congregation are going to be hosting an Agape dinner next month, and we hope you'll sign up, and it'll be an evening on a Thursday evening that we'll spend together learning more about the great work of Agape, and then also giving us an opportunity to give to that work. Now, the very next evening will be another opportunity for us to load up on a bus and go up to Cookville and learn more about the work at Happy Haven, the children's home there. It'll be an evening with with a bluegrass band and, and a wonderful supper provided. And then also as we learn more about that great work, we'll also have the opportunity to give to that work. Now, you know, if you've been around here very long, we really believe Jesus when he says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so we are thankful to have these opportunities to be a part of these works that lift up the sanctity of life We help protect babies, we help offer homes to children, and we help offer support to women that need the help as they're raising these children. And so we're thankful that uh, we have deacons here that keep these works ever fresh in our mind and helps us know how we can be involved in this great work. Look in your bulletin. You can find all the details you need about that, but we want you to be making your plans on that. As we think about our theme this year of Great Expectations, It's been exciting thinking about this theme, especially as we look at the illustration of the mighty oak tree. When you look up at a mighty oak tree and then you see a small acorn attached to that mighty oak tree, it's kind of hard to believe that when you look at that acorn, that inside that acorn is the expectation that it one day will be a mighty oak tree. And you remember back in January, the second week of January, we handed out to everybody that wanted one an acorn. As a matter of fact, that's an actual picture of one of them that was handed out. What's neat that I'm finding out, uh, just by word of mouth from some of you, is that several of you took your acorn home and you planted it. I just found out this past week that one of our secretaries, Tammy England, she took hers home and planted it. And uh, she sent me pictures this week and she said, Hey, up until this week, it's just been a little sprout with two leaves. And she said, I woke up the other morning and all of a sudden it had six leaves on it. And so we're looking forward, those of you that that are raising your acorns this year, we're looking forward to seeing how these little trees, these little red oak trees grow throughout the year. But what is really more exciting than just the growth of the physical tree is that that illustrates what we're striving to do spiritually among all of us. Just like we can measure a tree going from an acorn to a little sprout to a little short tree that one day will be waist high, one day will, will be taller than, than us, one day can, can spread its leaves very broadly so that we could find safety and shade underneath it under a storm. Now, when we think about that, I want you to think about your spiritual life this year. How are you doing? If you were compared to a little sapling... Would it be that that you're growing and more leaves have already been produced in January and February, and here you are in March and you're looking forward to a spring of, of harvest? Is that the way you're growing spiritually? As we look at great expectations, that's what the expectation is that God has for you. Listen, it doesn't matter where you are spiritually today. God knows that you can grow And that the maturation for you in the future is greater than whatever it is today. And so we spent January talking about choosing God. Let's join in in with Joshua. And let's say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We've made that decision. Choose you this day whom you will serve. We spent February studying the fact that once we choose God, what would be the very next thing that God would expect of us? And the very next thing that God would expect of us is he says the first and greatest commandment through his son Jesus. The first and greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second commandment is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We spent February studying the love that we're to have toward God, toward others, ourselves, and even studied Hosea to see an illustration of God's love toward us. But now as we go into March, we're looking at what else God would expect of us. God expects us to live truth. What a beautiful study this ought to be as we study the topic of living truth. Living truth. It can be challenging because in our society today, it seems to be a moving target. You see, the real question that all of us need to decide as we go through this study is we need to decide whether or not truth is subjective. Is it individualized to each of us, or is it objective? Is it separate and apart from each of us, and we can decide if we want to believe in it and if we want to live it or not. When we look at the definition out of the dictionary about objectivity, it's a central philosophical concept. It's related to the reality and truth, which has been variously defined by sources. Generally, objective means the state or quality of being true even outside of a subject's individual biases, interpretations, the individual's feelings, or the individual's imaginings. If you would have said to many of us 30 years ago, that subjective truth was going to be as popular as it is today, most of us would have said, there is no way that will ever become so popular. Here we are. Welcome to a culture today in America that is filled with the idea that truth is whatever you're subject to in your personal bias. Truth is whatever your interpretation of it is. Truth is, how do you feel about this? Truth is, what do you imagine to be the right thing to do in this point in time? Or is truth something much greater than that? Is there a standard of truth that exists separate and apart from your idea of truth or my idea of truth or someone down the road or someone around the world? What is truth? Pilate asked that question to Jesus and we ought not stop asking that question because we need to find out what the truth is because the truth is, we can't live truth if we don't know what truth is. Truth is two plus two is four. Unless, of course, you feel that it's different. Maybe your interpretation is two plus two is six. Now, is that truth to you? Or maybe my interpretation is eight minus four is two. Is that okay with you if that's my truth? Oh, your truth is fine with you. My truth is fine with me. That's the popular view today of, of everything. But does it work? Are we fine to say that, sure, it's whatever you want it to be. Up is down and down is up. East is west and west is east. Good is evil and evil is good. It's fine, whatever you want it to be. Lying is perfectly acceptable. As a matter of fact, it's a good thing to do from time to time if the situation calls for it. Is that truth? Cohabitation is a wonderful way to test drive marriage. Is that truth? Worship. God accepts anything in worship. Just offering whatever you'd like. One church is as good as another. God doesn't care. Faith, doesn't matter what faith you are, all faiths leads us in the same direction. What is truth to you? Is it whatever your interpretation of those things are? Is it whatever you feel about those things? Is it your personal bias towards those things? Is it whatever you imagine? Or is there an absolute standard of truth? that you and I can decide, do we want to take the time to learn? Are we going to be humble enough to submit? And what if, in fact, we learn that that truth was personified by Jesus Christ Himself when He came and He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, there is a standard. And what a blessing it is when we decide that we want to follow that standard. Let me give you three examples I've experienced in just the last few weeks. A gentleman that's just a little bit older than me was talking about how we need to be doing more service in the church and how we need to get serious about that. And, and he, he, in his talking, he said, looking back, you know, I remember a time where, where all we worried about was the truth, but now we've got to get involved in service. And then finally he just blurted out these words. He said, I'm over caring about what is right. And from now on, all I want to do is serve. And by this time, I'm really having to hold back. And and I still held back by this time, and I'm thankful I did, because it's like he heard his own words. And then he began to stutter. And he said, well, I mean, you you know what I mean. I mean, we just need to get more serious about serving. I, I still care what's right. Well, let's pause and think about what's churning in his mind for him to blurt out something like that. Is it true? Keep in mind, the only way Satan can work is through lies. The same book we're going to study this morning of John, John 8 and 44, we learned that Satan is full of lies. What's some of the great lies that he's told us? He constantly pits all kind of good things against truth to make us believe that we can't have both. And so I ask you, must we choose between service and obedience? That's what a lot of people would like for us to believe today. That's what Satan would like for us to believe. In other words, you can't be wholly devoted to the truth and be someone that is out serving mankind and being benevolent to mankind. Listen, that's the biggest lie that there is. That's setting up a straw man. There is no reason for us to feel any need that we've got to choose between obedience and truth. Or also this past week, I I spoke with a young man and we were in a pretty lengthy conversation. He was a millennial and he thought very much like millennials, which by the way, I'm not throwing rocks at millennials. There's a lot in our world today that think along these very same lines. And so we were talking about the church and several topics came up. And finally, when I just mentioned one particular passage and I said, well, you know, this is what is taught by God in the church. And I kid you not, his answer was... I've never studied that. But if that's what God said, I'd have to take it up with him because I feel like that's wrong. On one hand, I'd like for you to say, I'd like to say to you, can you imagine? But we don't have to imagine. We hear talk like that all the time. You see, when we talk about this topic of truth, it's going to come down to this. And even though it's simple to say, it's not easy to do, brethren. It's going to come down to this. Do you really trust God? We can quote the passage, and it's beautiful, but it's a lot harder to live than it is, quote, We live by faith and not by sight. There are a lot of things that God's going to ask of us that it does not make sense to us, and it does not feel good while we're doing it. And we can honestly say, God, if it were left up to me, I would do this differently. But that's why... You and I are not God. And that's why truth is something much higher than us. Instead of subjective, hey, whatever I feel is right, it's objective. God exists and he's given us truth and we can decide if we want to come to him, the truth, and submit to him or not. And then I'll leave you with just the quote out of the, the, the newspaper this week at the Tennessean as one of our large churches took a pretty sharp shift in some of their doctrine. And when they were in this article Uh, giving some quotes of why people were saying of, of that group, of why it was acceptable. This was a quote of why this shift in doctrine was acceptable to them. But the larger churches, they were actually very firm in embracing us. That was one of the strongest quotes of justification of them making the change that they made. Now, could it be true, does acceptance of the majority constitute truth. Is that what we need to do? Let's face it. There are a lot of denominations today that they get together annually and they vote to figure out doctrinal paths they will travel for that year. Is that what we need to do? We need to get people together and we need to have votes. The majority is going to tell us what we're going to believe and practice for the next year. Or let's just go with culture. How does... America feel today about this moral issue let's just take the majority and surely if the majority say that it's this way surely that is truth or surely there's something much higher than man do you realize everything that we talked about at this point dealing subjectively means that truth is nothing higher than the thoughts of man That is a very, very low standard of truth and it ought to scare us to think that we're going to rely upon how to live on this earth and hopes of eternal life based solely upon the thinking of men or women. Thank God there's something much higher than our feelings, our interpretations, our imaginings. And that that is much higher is the standard of truth that God gives us. And so when we think about Loving all, and especially as we think about loving all today, I'd like for you to especially think about loving God. As we love God, and then we seek truth, what does that look like in Scripture? In other words, let's ask it this way. How are we supposed to express love to God? you realize that in the way God has created us to be emotional people, people to feel emotions of like, and love for us to have have people that we just naturally want to be around. We want to do things for them. We have many ways that we naturally express love. We're going to be studying out of John, and I'd, I'd like for you to turn in your Bible, and I'd like to give you just a few quick examples. And if you feel like, wow, we're jumping here, we're hopping, I just want to give you a few examples to think about how we in our human nature express love. Because what I'm, what I'm getting at, and you probably already see this, but you and I need to, after we look at some of this, then we need to hit the pause button and say, but how does God expect us to express love toward Him? In other words, the way I express love toward you or you toward me, is that the same exact way that we're supposed to express love to God? What if God asks something else of us? What if he tells us what it is? Now we have the opportunity to learn it and to live it. It'd be a wonderful opportunity this morning for us to learn that. For example, when we go to the end of John the 13th chapter, if you want to look there, the end of John the 13th chapter, remember this is where Peter is wanting to go and follow Jesus, and Jesus tells him, you can't follow me. And you remember this is where Jesus even tells him, you're going to die me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. I'd like for you to notice especially verse 36 to 37 of John 13. Simon Peter said to him, Lord... Where are you going? Think about that right there as as we express love. Where are you going? Jesus answered and said to him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Now I know immediately he foretells of the fact that Peter... It's going to deny him three times before the rooster crows in the morning. And so it's easy for us to take even this paragraph and put it in a negative connotation. Listen, Peter's desire to want to follow Jesus was not negative. Now, the fact that he denied Jesus three times before the rooster crow in the morning, that was very negative. But listen, the idea that he's saying, Jesus, I love you so much that wherever you're going, I want to go with you. Think about it. Why was Peter even standing there at that very moment? For that very same reason, Peter had already left fishing boats, he'd left a business, he'd left family, he'd left friends behind because he was coming to follow Jesus. So for years, he had lived a life that said, I want to be with you, Jesus. And so now Jesus starts talking about going somewhere else. And so what does Peter naturally do? Peter naturally says, well, wherever else you're going, I want to go there too. And so that's a beautiful, beautiful expression of love. In other words, we can express love by longing to be with someone. That's a beautiful expression of love. I remember the first school year, Tracy and I dated in college. At the end of that summer, we parted our ways and we each went, she went back to Arkansas. I lived here in Tennessee. And I remember towards the end of that summer, I remember saying to her, we won't ever spend another summer apart. I hated it. I hated it. I said, next summer, I don't know how we'll work it out, but we're going we're to be a lot closer than what we were this summer. What, what was that saying? I long to be with you. We commonly express love by saying, I long to be with you. Let's look at another example. In John, the 14th chapter, just your very next verses there. Look at verse 1. Jesus saw as he was talking to them that night. Keep in mind, this was the night for the Passover. He'd washed their feet. They celebrated the Passover. He washed their feet. He's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be arrested. He's going to die the next day. Well, he's talking to them over and over about leaving them. And so notice his words in 14 and 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Why is he talking about their heart being troubled? Because they love him and they do not want him departing because it's causing grief in their heart. You remember back in John the 11th chapter whenever Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus. You remember verse 35 says Jesus wept. But you remember the Jews' observance gives us a little definition of love. As the Jews said, see how he loved him? In other words, the Jews watched Jesus crying at the tomb and their interpretation was that right there is a demonstration of love. When we go to a funeral and we see someone grieving, we can't help but think what? My, how he loved him, how she loved him, how she loved her. It is a natural expression of love that we grieve when one has departed. How many times have you, you stood in your driveway and you waved goodbye to kids or to grandkids and tears come to the corner of your eyes? Why? You just grieve departures of those that you love. Look at another example, if you will. Go back to John, the third chapter. In John, the third chapter, look at 19 and 20. In John three nineteen and 20. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. Notice we've read about loving darkness. Now we just read about hating the light. Hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed reading what is implied here. I know that can be dangerous sometimes, but I think this is very fair to the text. And and if you don't think it is, throw it out, all right? But what Jesus seems to be saying here is, there's some people that live in darkness, and the reason they choose to stay there is not because I've never seen the light. He's saying they live in darkness because they enjoy it. If they came to the light, their evil deeds would be exposed, therefore they would need to repent. And so they have chosen to not come to the light because they enjoy the darkness. But you know, he did say they loved the darkness. And that is a very common characteristic of love. We enjoy it. How many times have you seen someone describe someone else about loving football? Yesterday, I I heard in, in a conversation about a particular young man that loved a certain football team and for like one or two or three years, he went to every game. That meant one weekend he packed up and he drove to Wyoming so that he would not miss a game. Now, you can't hear stories like that without thinking what? He loves football enjoyment. That is another way that we as human beings express love. Let's look at one more and then let's move to see how the Lord wants us to express love. Look at John 12. Turn back to John 12. John 12 and verse 42, we have a a simple, uh, sad, and powerful teaching. John 12 and 42, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. This is Rulers in the synagogue believed in Jesus, but because the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Pause there for a moment. Have you ever thought about the fact that there are many people that believe in Jesus, but they won't say they believe in Jesus? Why, why would they not say it? Well, for reasons like this, lest they would be put out of the synagogue. In other words, it was going to cost them something. They didn't want to give up whatever they were going to have to give up in order to say, I'm a believer and a follower of Jesus. And so then you say, why did this happen? Look at the explanation in 43. For they loved, see we got the word love there. They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So what we have here is we see that we express love also by a priority system. In other words, notice here that John did not record and say, these men, they loved the praise of men and they loved the praise of God. No. See, it was a priority. They loved the praise of men. They didn't care much for the praise of God. And so because of that, we start to see love. What do you really love? Well, get your checkbook out and you'll see what you love. It's whatever you spend your money on. Get your calendar out. Where do you spend your time? That's what you really love. When you're sitting around not thinking about anything, but you're thinking about something, what are you thinking about? That's what you really love. You see, whatever we prioritize in our life, that's what we love. And so here, that's a simple point that's being made here. They love, they they set as a high priority. Now keep in mind, see this is how powerful this is. They knew the truth. They knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. But they wouldn't say it. Because they loved the praise of men more than they loved the praise of God. They knew they were living opposed to truth because they loved the praise of men more than they loved God. So a quick review. Just in John, and I'm not saying to you this is all the ways we express love by any stretch of the imagination. There's so many more. But just in this Gospel of John, just kind of off the top of your head, it's easy to see this. We as human beings express love by longing to be with people. Grieving departures, enjoyment, and by priority. Now, again, we pause and we ask the question, how do we express love to God based upon what God would teach us? How does God want us to love Him? Now, you realize that it's real easy to miscommunicate love among human beings. Can you imagine how much more so it's easy to miscommunicate love between humans and deity? For example, I think years ago I shared with you this story, but this this is a true story. I know a couple that they dated for seven years throughout most of of high school and all of college and, and when it came time which I don't know why she thought that it was going to be this Christmas but she believed that she was going to get an engagement ring this Christmas and so she began to tell her friends how excited she was she's going to get engaged this Christmas and then she began to to probe her her boyfriend to see if she was accurate and she'd be like what are you getting me what are you getting me? one day he came in and he was really excited and she's like well you know why are you excited he said I got your, your Christmas gift she says oh you got to give me hints I'm not going to give you any hints and finally She kept probing, and finally he said, It's something small. And so she was really excited. And she said, Tell me more, tell me more. He he said, Well, it's something shiny. And so she's really excited, small and shiny. And and he even said, It's something you're going to really like. Well, then she just knew, I'm getting engaged. She told her friends again, I'm getting engaged, I'm getting engaged. Christmas time came. She got this little small gift. She opened it. It was a nickel plated pocket pistol. That guy is lucky to be alive. We understand sometime how one of us perceives what is love and how another perceives what is love. You ask the average husband, give me five things that you'd like for your wife to do for you because she loves you. You ask the average wife, give me five things you'd like for your husband to do because you love me. And you know what? The two lists aren't going to be the same. Why? Because we express love in different ways. Now, if we express love in different ways, human to human, how much so would we be foolish to think, You know what? I'm going to express my love to God and I'm going to express it solely through the idea of the way I as an individual, as a human, would want to express love. Listen, God's not another human and he deserves so much more than that. I'd like for you to notice four times here. Let's go to John. Let's go to the 14th chapter. And I'd like for you to notice these four times that is really, really powerful. John, the 14th chapter. First, let's just run through them. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now let's skip down to 21 where he talks about it again. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let's skip down to 23. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. See, notice now he interchanged commandments for word, and you can interchange that for will. In other words, what is the will of God? What is the word of God? What are, what are the commandments of God? And notice, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now he states this same truth from a negative standpoint. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Now, Jesus is our perfect example in this. Skip down to verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father. Pause there for me. You see what he's doing? This night, he's been given all this teaching about loving God and keeping the commandments. Loving God, keeping the commandments. And finally, he says, remember, he's right there with the apostles. Hey, guys, let me illustrate to you what I'm trying to teach you. You've been walking with me. You know my life. So notice this. But the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandments, so... I do. Not even past tense. So I did. So I do. In other words, I will continue to live the will of the Father. Why, Jesus? Because I love the Father. He says it again that same night in John 15. It's still the same night. John 15 and verse 10. He said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, notice this personal example. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, what does this mean? As we go back to that in John 14 and 15 where he says, if you love me and keep my commandments, I want you to notice a couple of things as we close this. It's very important. One is, it's not teaching us that love and keeping commandments is exactly the same thing. They're two separate things. But he is teaching that love and keeping commandments are inseparable. Keeping the commandments is is an inseparable expression of the love of God. In other words, if we truly love God, in other words, we love God so much we come to him on his terms and we say, God, what do you want from me? I love you. You're the highest priority. I long to be with you. What do you want from me? And he would say, keep my commandments. That's powerful, isn't it? because now we have a directive. God, how do I express to you I love you? God, what what do you want me to do to tell you how much I love you? And he would say, I want you to keep my commandments. And now you even have a way to evaluate. Are we keeping his commandments? Now another thing I'd like for you to note is that our love for God is never the way our love is sometime for each other. And our love for each other sometime is gracious. We see the faults in our family members and we love them in spite of their faults. We see a neighbor that is really down and out and we love them and express that love because they're down and out. Do you realize that we never love God through graciousness? He has no faults. He has no weakness. We love God because He is the fullness of grace and truth. We love God because He is the brilliance of all glory We love God because He's all-knowing. We love Him because He's all-powerful. We love Him because He's all-good. We love Him because He is worth more than anything or anyone that we could ever know or imagine. We love God. We find immense joy in who God is, not in spite of who He is. And so our love for God ought to grow and develop to be much greater than what we have for any other because any other involves a graciousness, but towards God, it involves an awe. The very definition of worship is to pour out your adoration toward. We do not pour out adoration to God in spite of your weaknesses, in spite of you not taking care of me, in spite, no, we pour out our adoration to God because all that he is. We don't know anyone like him. He is God. He is deity. And we are human. And we bring ourselves to His feet to love Him. I'd like for us to close this lesson. And if you want to drop back to Deuteronomy 6, the only reason I want to do this this morning, not the only reason, but the main reason, is because many of us throughout the month of February, we said this every day, throughout the month of February, and many of us said it twice a day. And I want you to notice in Deuteronomy 6 as we close here, look at verse 4, 5, and 6. Do you remember verse 5 is that great teaching of love? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. But do you notice what precedes it and what follows it? Look again at Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Here, O Israel. You see what he's saying there? I'm not treating you like elementary students, but bear with me. You see what he's saying? Israel. I have a message that you must hear. And the word hear means listen to obey. It is a submissive listening. As a a father speaks to a child, hey, are you listening to me? I need you to do this. Do you hear me? And so hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Do you believe that we must fully devote ourselves to him and we can't split our allegiance with any other? He is one. Okay, God, I believe you. What do you want me to do? I want you to love me with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. Okay, God, I do. I love you that much. And notice the very next words that come out of his mouth in verse six. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. God always, Old Covenant, New Covenant, from the beginning to the end, God always takes love and commandments and feathers them together so tightly they can't be separated because God loves you so much He's going to give you the guidance that you need to know how to live here so that you can know how to live for eternity with Him. How cruel would God be if there was a way of righteousness and He would not tell us. God Loves you so much that He tells us what is truth. This morning if we can help you take steps towards God, steps towards loving God, and a result of loving God, you have a humble heart that says, God, I hear you. I want to learn of your truth and I want to keep your words hid in my heart. I hope if you cannot say this at this time, we're thinking about maturation. I hope by the end of this month, every one of us here can say honestly from the depths of our heart, I love God's commandments. I love His teachings. I love His doctrine. I love His will. All of those are synonyms. All of those are synonyms to say, God, I believe that Your will is truth if you're ready to be immersed into Christ, if you're ready to be restored, if you're ready to to ask for prayers, if there's any way that we can help you love God and express that love to God in the way that He has asked, we'd love to help you.